Good evening, everyone. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin, and I'll be hosting a special live broadcast tonight on 760 WJR. We are live from Miami, Florida, and we're going to be talking about the prevention of disease and the urgency of taking action before you get hit with serious medical problems. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention, is tuning in from Birmingham, Michigan, to talk about how to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether and what you need to do to prevent Alzheimer's and many other chronic diseases. If you have a question, we're opening up the lines and taking your calls. So make a note of this number, 800-859-0957. This is a rare opportunity to talk directly to the doctors. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to 760 WJR. Again, I'd like to welcome all of you to a special medical show here on 760 WJR. We're broadcasting live from our studios in Miami, Florida. I'm Anne-Marie Cronin here together with Siobhan Cronin, my co-host. And we're here tonight to talk to you about prevention and why you have to start looking at healthcare from a different perspective. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, is joining us from Birmingham, Michigan to give us some hard talk about dealing with our health and making sure we get the necessary testing. We're going to invite you to call in if you have a question at 800-859-0957. Again, that number is 800-859-0957. And we, are, we, have, we have the privilege to have Dr. Collender with us, still on the line, still telling us about what we need to know. I don't know what we do without him. Dr. Collender, welcome. Well, thanks, Anne-Marie. Um, I thought we'd talk about something. Uh, it, this is probably a little controversial, like everything we say, but... Everything you say is controversial. Well, you know, I had a patient come in today who was prescribed by me one of these newer weight loss drugs. And so what happened is, at the end of last year, um, you know, she needs a new prior authorization. Uh, there was a little bit of a lack of communication between her, our pharmacy, her insurance, our office, and she did not get this weight loss medication for maybe three months, maybe four. And what happened is, is what we already know happens when you stop taking some of these newer weight loss medicines is she put half of her weight back on. And while I'm talking to her, it really hit me how similar this concept of obesity as a medical diagnosis seems a lot like the concept of pain as a medical diagnosis 25 years ago, which led to the development of the opioid epidemic. Dr. Connor, not to interrupt you, but let me ask a question. What is the reason that people should be taking weight loss drugs? If it's something that can be done, let's say more or less naturally, why would somebody be turning to a weight loss drug as a solution? Well, I want to take a step back. Okay, so the reason diagnoses come into play these days is not because a new disease has been identified and the doctors determine that a disease state needs to be recognized as something that needs to be treated. Nowadays, a diagnosis code is created because a pharmaceutical product has been developed. And so now that a pharmaceutical product or products exist for obesity that are branded, all of a sudden there's diagnosis codes that are covered by insurance for obesity. And that is similar to what happened, you know, in uh, the pain management uh, 
a couple of decades ago when the pharma company just, you know, basically fooled the FDA into thinking we needed this diagnosis. They didn't just fool the FDA, they fooled every doctor, they fooled the hospital systems, every one of them into creating uh, pain scales that needed management of their drug. So I'm seeing a really significant uh, correlation between that and this. Even though we're in the early days of managing obesity, um, it's happening. So uh, your question, Siobhan, is why do we need an obesity drug? Uh, the answer is because now we have them. And, and if you would ask me a month ago, I might have said that they're safe. Uh, now I'm not so sure. And the reason is they're being abused. Uh, so, and what way? I'm going to jump in here. What do you mean they're being abused? Who's abusing them? Well, there are people that do not qualify for obesity um, and are getting the drug. Uh, I also think that the threshold for prescribing the medicine is a little low. Um, you don't have to be obese per se. Uh, they're using body mass index as a gauge for treatment. And as we all know, and we've talked about before, body mass index is a horrible way to measure someone's fitness. For instance, you know, the rock, you know, who's giant and has no body fat might have uh, the same uh, BMI as someone on, you know, my 600 pound life. Um, it just, that weight is distributed completely differently. So you're comparing two people of obviously different levels of fitness, but they have the same BMI. So the rock could qualify for a weight loss drug, even though he doesn't need to lose one ounce of fat. So people that don't are not technically obese, uh, well, they are based on body mass index, which is a horrible data point to measure. And of course, not a data point that I use in my office because it's worthless. Well, I have a question to so ask before we go to break. Go just a quick question because we're going to go to break really soon. Okay, so you're a primary care physician that specializes in prevention. We all have PCPs. Why in God's name does the average patient need to be taking pharma to lose weight? That's my question. Well, weight loss is very hard. And in my practice, you do not need to lose weight to achieve our goal of heart attack and stroke prevention. I don't even care about your weight. We can achieve our goals. Maybe you lose weight, maybe you don't. But losing weight is not the end-all be-all. And we can achieve our goals of, of preventing chronic disease without having weight losses as one of our targets. Uh, but the, the powers that be think obesity is a problem. And it is, but not really. Where are the powers that be? I'm sorry to jump in. Powers that be meaning pharma? And the FDA. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. Got it. We'll have to come back and talk about this on the other side of the break. Again, you're listening to our weekly live medical radio show where we keep you up to date on all medical solutions from dealing with COVID to avoiding ca catastrophic disease. We are here with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, talking about prevention. If you have a specific question and you'd like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to prevent or reverse disease, please call in at 800-859-0957. Again, 800-859-0957. You're listening to 760 WJR. 
Welcome back to our special live weekly medical show on 760 WJR. We're back again with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician in Birmingham, Michigan. As a recognized leader in the field of catastrophic disease prevention, including heart attacks, stroke, diabetes, and many chronic conditions, he's with us tonight to give us some hard advice on what we need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether. Through the new diagnostic technology, we are now able to arrest and reverse the progress of these silent killers. We're inviting listeners to call in with your questions at 800-859-0957. Again, call us at 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, let's pick up where you left off. Well, thanks, Amory. So listeners, we are drawing a comparison between the concepts of treating and diagnosing obesity and how similar they are to me now to treating and managing pain with Oxycontin, which you know happened uh, 20, 25 years ago, which led to our opioid epidemic. And you may say, well, narcotics are addictive. And how does that compare to these weight loss drugs? Well, I'm not, sh- I can't say that these weight loss drugs are addictive. I don't think they are, but if you stop the drug, your weight is going to come back on. And that means you have to stay on the drug to maintain the goals that you started the drug for. And although it may not be a physiologic addiction by definition, you do have to stay on the drug to maintain the weight loss. And if you don't, it's going to reverse. What are these pills doing exactly? What's happening when you're taking these pills? So these, uh, they're, they're mainly administered by injection. And it's a little needle. The, the pens are really well made. Uh, you don't feel it at all. But they're an injection of a peptide. And peptides are, I'm going to call them bio, nearly bioidentical tiny molecules that your body recognizes as, a, as something you make, which is obviously something I like. If you're a regular listener, you know that's the type of thing I like, an injected molecule that your body thinks is its own that does something that happens naturally. So these drugs were originally made to treat diabetes. And over the years, I've used the weight loss versions of these drugs for my patients who have insulin resistance, who are a little overweight. And because they do have an elevated BMI, they qualify for the drug. So to me, this was an opportunity to manage their insulin resistance, which is a silent killer and causes heart attack, stroke, dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and cancer, among God knows what else. So recognizing early insulin resistance is part of my goals for prevention. The challenge is it's hard to treat because branded drugs are only indicated for diabetes. So people are years away from being able to take what might be a better drug. And now that these drugs were available as weight loss, I ordered them as weight loss, but the real reason for me to prescribe them was to treat the insulin resistance. But there are obese people that do not have insulin resistance. And there are people who are a little overweight who don't have insulin resistance. And they may be taking these drugs and losing 
more weight than they may need to lose. Um, yeah, they may look good in clothes, but they are for, you know, all intents and purposes now addicted to this drug because they did not lose weight by lifestyle. They lost weight with a drug that doesn't really fit a physiologic need for them. And now if they lose, if they stop that drug, they're going to put all the weight back on. And I don't know what that does to somebody. I don't think anybody does. What does this rapid weight loss, weight loss and rapid weight gain do? We don't know yet. These are, these drugs have not been used into this degree a lot, but I, I don't, I never prescribe them for people without insulin resistance who are obese, only people who have insulin resistance. Um, well, let me yeah. just jump in here as I'm thinking about this. What is what was it that was going around maybe 10 or 15 or 20 years ago that people used to call diet pills? What kind of, those were medications that had to be prescribed by a doctor, but basically what's the difference? Well, those drugs are stimulants. So back then you did a drug called Fenfen, uh, which was like two diet pills together, two stimulants. And then they learned uh, not too long afterward that the drug caused valvular heart disease. Uh, and so those drugs are still available, uh, but they're not safe because stimulants can cause irregular heartbeats. They can cause high blood pressure, anxiety. And of course they are physiologically addictive. So um, stimulants are a horrible idea surprisingly or not so surprisingly, some insurance companies still require you to try a stimulant before getting one of these newer weight loss drugs. So now why would that be? Why would that be when they're potentially dangerous? Well, you sound surprised that a drug company, an insurance company would require <laughs> well, I shouldn't be surprised to take something that is unsafe, but generic and cheap to avoid prescribing something that's relatively safer than, you know, and, and expensive. There are so many facets to this concept of pharma guiding a diagnosis code, the FDA allowing codes to develop in order to accommodate a pharma product. Um, here's another example. I'm getting a little off track, but we've talked about on the show often um, doing a genetic marker called lipoprotein A. Well, a couple of years ago, I would try to put a diagnosis of elevated LPA on my electronic health record just to keep track of who had it and who didn't. And that code did not exist. But now, because pharma companies are making a product that lowers LPA, oh, guess what? Now there's a diagnosis code for elevated LPA. How annoying is that? You can't make the diagnosis for a condition that exists until pharma has a product for it. If there isn't a treatment that's FDA approved that costs your insurance company a lot of money, the condition does not exist. Okay, I got a quick question. Offensive. Got yeah. a quick, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I have a quick question on behalf of the listeners and the patients out there. Why did the, and I know what your answer is, why did the doctors not catch on to this, that this was a pharma-driven, you know, sloppy job here and just, you know, override it and get their patients that needed to lose weight or that had insulin resistance or whatever 
take another pathway. That's what you're doing. And the concierge practice that you have, that's what you're doing. So what, what, what do you say about all the other PCPs that are not paying attention to this? That's what we, that's who we rely on. It's the same reason all these doctors required you to get vaccinated and wouldn't see you in their office when you had COVID and still don't see you and make you take Paclovid if you have COVID today. So all these doctors are blindly following the system, even after we know how wrong all these things are. Here's another thing happening, and they're just going to blindly follow it. They're not even thinking about this stuff, Amory. The idea that the FDA is going to put out drugs because pharma made it, they might, you know, you know, let's have a doctor call and, and tell us, you know, something different. They just don't even know, or they don't care. They don't have time. Here's a drug that's going to help you lose weight. The patient comes in and, you know, you can write it. Uh, there's another part of this. So we have to go to break. We'll come back next time. I want to talk about the people who are paying for this. Who's paying for your drug to help you lose weight? That's $18,000 a year. 18,000 yeah, a year. Right. Who's paying for it? Good question. Let's come back and talk some more about this on the other side of the break. Interesting conversation. Again, you're listening to a special live medical broadcast on the prevention and medical management of disease. If you have a specific question and you would like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke, or you have a question on any of the subjects we're discussing tonight, don't hesitate to give us a call at 800-859-0957. This is a rare opportunity for you all to call in and talk to the doctor directly. 800-859-0957. You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to our special live medical broadcast on 760 WJR. We are fortunate to have Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention here with us tonight to give us some straight talk about two important topics prevention, and being proactive. Please tune in to our weekly shows Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. and live every Thursday at 7. We're inviting you to call in with your questions and talk to the doctor directly at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, let's pick up where we left off with insulin resistance and explaining what that is and what it means to the average listener as opposed to as, as it affects weight loss. Well, thanks, Anne-Marie. So, you know, if you're a regular listener, you do recognize that insulin resistance is a driver of chronic disease. And the, there have been, there's a class of drugs that I've been using for more than 10 years. I was the first doctor in our area, one of the first to use this class of drugs as an internist because I recognize their benefit early on. I'm going to tell you, any rep who would come by our office would tell you, I was one of the first to use these in people who were diabetic. And it's a great drug class because it reverses the, the process of insulin resistance and can make people with diabetes have much better readings. Uh, then they discover this drug uh, leads to weight loss. So now down the road, there have been some reiterations. They've made it more potent. And it, now the drugs cause a lot of weight loss. So which is great if you're out there and you're struggling with weight loss. The problem is if you stop the drug, you're going to put all the weight back on. 
And what if you don't have insulin resistance? You don't need a lifetime drug for weight loss. And what you need is education. So these drugs get covered by your employer who's elected to treat or prescribe or pay for drugs that, co that uh, treat uh, obesity at a very high cost. These drugs are $1,500 a month. Your copay might be four to $500 a month. Your employer's paying another thousand. So that is $18,000 a year for you to lose, let's say 30 pounds. I'm just throwing a number out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and then if you stop that drug, you're going to put all that weight back on. Now, if you have insulin resistance, you're at high risk and we need a little extra help, well, then let's go for it because you need a lifelong plan. But if you are not insulin resistant, you are now for all effect addicted to a drug to keep your weight off. And what if you change jobs? What if you right. lose your insurance? Good point. Then you're screwed. Right. You put, mm -hmm. and, and who knows what that does to your body, your metabolism to put it all back on. Okay. Well, so I'm, we're gonna, I'm, yeah, go ahead. Siobhan. Yeah. I'm going to jump in because we did get a call that came through. We have Debbie in Michigan calling. Debbie, what's your question? I mean, I was wondering what an alternative to blood thinners is or might be. So you want an alternative to blood thinners? What is the reason we're taking blood thinners? Um, well, I had, um, I had AFib. Um, they corrected it with an ablation, so I'm totally, my heart is totally um, run by a battery now. I, it's not, not a partial battery, it's, it's total battery. Um, and uh, it feels good. I, I, I don't um, have the racing heart anymore. And um, But at my blood thinners, I'm starting to feel like they're too heavy for me. My doctor said that um, he'd like to discuss the watchman, and I don't really want to do that. I feel like if my heart is working, properly um why should i be on blood thinners well that's a tough decision because if you have an irregular heartbeat like atrial fibrillation and i realize you're a, you've been ablated and now your rhythm is being managed uh with a pacemaker um and you feel like you should be okay the problem is if for some reason another pathway develops and you go back in AFib and you're not on a blood thinner, your risk of stroke is very high. And so it's difficult to make the decision to stop the blood thinner. So it's not a decision to be taken lightly. I wish I could tell you, yeah, you're fine and stop it, but I can't because you've already had this condition. You're already, and you're at high risk for having it recur. Um, so I, I think you're probably on a blood thinner for life. I wish I could tell you differently, but as long as you're not bleeding, uh, during, you know, dental cleaning or things like that, that of normal, you're not spontaneously bleeding, then you should, you should be okay. I, um, the novel anticoagulants are pretty safe. Just be careful not to hit your head. Well, Dr. Collender, as you're talking to this patient who calls in, what's running through my mind is this is just an exemplification of the disconnect between patients that are out there and their doctor. Why is her doctor not walking her through these questions? Why is the doctor not responsible? 
the doctor who writes the prescription. You're responsible for your patients. What happens to the rest of the medical community? And why is it we get so many calls from patients all over the country that are asking questions that what happened to your doctor? Did they just check out after they wrote the prescription? Well, I think, I mean, I think in this case, Anne-Marie, the doctor probably gave her a similar answer and she just got a second opinion. You know, I, so I don't okay. think that one is so bad. Uh, but uh, the question you may ask is what happened before? You know, we always talk about sleep apnea and people who have arrhythmia. Were there other conditions going on contributing to her irregular heartbeat that could have been identified and improve her condition to where she didn't need a full ablation and a dual chamber pacemaker. You know, those are questions to ask, but that's water under the bridge at this point. Yeah, it's also dodgy. I think that we should start asking all the callers what age they are because we get callers that have serious medical conditions and I'm always thinking as you're talking to them, what happened that this didn't get pre-diagnosed or you know, suspected at a, at a point as you do, that's what your practice is all about. You're one of the few people in the country that do prevention, but for the rest of the people, they're getting diagnosed after they got the disease, after you get diabetes, after you have a cardiac problem. And I'm just, you know, curious to know what, uh, at, you know, what age are you now? What age were you when this was discovered? And why was it, why was it so late in the game to the point where you become dependent on pharma and dependent upon you know, um, interventional cardiology in order to, you know, stents or whatever it is they're doing out there, you know, you then be, you're now in a catastrophic situation. Well, the key is starting young because chronic disease like heart attack and stroke are occurring earlier and earlier in young people in their 30s and 40s. So it's not too late to start screening for these conditions and treating them and managing them aggressively on day one and not wait the 10, 20 years for the diagnosis to occur where now the FDA has a drug for you. Now pharma's got a drug for you. Now your doctor will even recognize you have a problem that they'll talk about. Because right now, unless you have a chronic disease, an end stage problem, you don't have a problem. So we need to, this is what we do. We screen for these conditions early. We check data points that measure risk accurately. We follow them over time and make adjustments in our program as we go. Uh, and I'll say that, uh, you know, not everybody follows a straight line. Uh, we have ups and downs with different people, but the, the, at the end of the day, we're going to make them, uh, Heart attack and stroke proof. That's that's our goal. I don't expect anything less. And I would consider any one of my patients having an adverse event to be horrible to me. Absolutely horrible. I would think it'd be I think of that as catastrophic. But I'll also say we're gonna see it coming. We Well, I mean, the thing is that you are that's what your specialty is. Your specialty is prevention. And uh, people are fortunate to have access to a doctor who specializes in prevention, but that's just not prolific. It's just not out there. Let's come back and talk more about this on the other side of the break. You're listening to a special live broadcast tonight where the topic is your health and how to prevent disease. When we come back, if you have a specific question on the subjects we're discussing and you would like to talk directly to the doctor, don't hesitate to call us at 800-859-0957. Again, that number is 800-859-0957. 
You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to the final segment of our special weekly live broadcast here on 760 WJR on the importance of being proactive and informed of all the resources available to prevent and treat chronic and debilitating disease. You're listening to the expert advice of Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician, one of the very few specialists in prevention in this country. If you have a question for the doctor, now is your chance to call us at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. This, unfortunately, is our last segment. So, Siobhan, I'm going to throw it over to you. Do you have a question to clarify with the doctor? Yeah, well, we we got a little bit off topic earlier, but we were, we were talking about this... Um, this medication that people are taking for weight loss that's intended for treating insulin resistance and how expensive it is. So I think we should just get back into that and, you know, kind of talk about the the repercussions of what's happening. Is this becoming an, an epidemic? Are people going to get hooked on this? Like what what can we expect with this problem right now? Well, I think, Siobhan, that this looks a lot like the beginning of the opioid epidemic to me. It's starting the same way, which is Pharma created a diagnosis code. They've convinced the world that obesity is a disease. And I'm not saying it's not a problem, but they've convinced everyone that it's a disease that requires a code that now has a treatment. And instead of people and doctors and the system educating patients the right way about what to do, they're going to pay. $18,000 a year per person to put them on these drugs that help people lose weight. And if they stop the drug, the weight's coming back on, which to me could be interpreted as I'm addicted to this drug because if I stop it, I go right back to where I was. You know, is it addicting per se? Well, if I'm addicted to being thin, well, then yeah, it's addicting. Uh, And I can't see how you wouldn't be. Who doesn't want to be thin? Their their image changes. Uh, The problem is if you are not insulin resistant, you're not treating an underlying condition that contributes to chronic illness. And the FDA and our insurance companies and the whole world are putting a drug ahead of making a real diagnosis. They're putting all of that and all that money ahead of actually identifying the disease that this drug could treat or what is the risk of this person from having Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and dementia? Do they really have insulin resistance or not? They don't know and they don't care because drugs are going to be sold and the FDA played its part by rolling over and doing what Big Pharma wanted, which is allow a disease process to be created, diagnosis codes to be made, and all of a sudden new drugs are being approved for this new condition that didn't exist a couple of years ago. So what's the solution to all this? What are, what are, what are you recommending? Well, the world's got to wake up and uh, realize that the amount of money that we're spending on this one thing is crazy. And here we are trying to prevent chronic disease and I'm more able to do that without anyone losing weight. Uh, yeah, weight loss may come, but time and education and treating the real problems of the condition that we're trying to manage doesn't require 
this level of intensity. Um, and the, you know, it's insurance won't recognize it because it's not pharma driven. So the FDA is not going to recognize it. Your insurance company won't recognize it because there isn't a pharma company behind it. So here we are trying to apply our program to more people, get it out there for more people. And you know what I hear is what's the ROI? What's the return on investment in getting real prevention out there to the people at low cost? What's the ROI? It's a hell of a lot less than 18,000 a year. You know, and we don't know now. Now what I'm hearing is how sick people are on these drugs. The people that don't have these underlying diseases, they're taking the drugs, they're taking uh, uh, Wagovi, Ozempic, which is generic, uh, branded versions of semaglutide. I've heard some stories today because I told people this was the topic of the show. And uh, I got some phone calls about people whose husbands are taking Monjaro, which is another diabetic drug that causes weight loss, but they were prescribed it by friends and they're sick. You know, there's spouses who are taking the drug are really sick on the, on it because they're taking it inappropriately. And I just think that there's a huge opportunity for abuse. Um, and this has been set up on a golden platter by the FDA as run, as indicated or as driven by the pharma companies. When you say they're sick, what do you mean by that? The, the patients that are taking these drugs that well, don't need to be taking them. The side what, effects, what is the real serious danger here? All right, I'm going to go so far as to say malnutrition. Wow. Because the drugs make you stop eating, like you lose your appetite. Mm -hmm. And if you don't eat and you lose a ton of weight and you start losing muscle mass along with it, you may become frail and you may become malnourished. You're not eating. And uh, so, again, it's I'm going to say that's a possibility. But the drug side effects on these things are long. And they also include uh, like mental health disturbances and suicidal ideation. That's all. Those are listed side effects on, on the drug. So uh, used in the right hands for the right reason with the right goal, I think these are useful drugs. Putting it out to the world for an indication that doesn't yield preventive results uh, is a recipe for disaster that we've seen before. This is not new. The wheel here is being reinvented the wrong way. So this has all happened before, and it's and I think this looks a lot like it's happening again, uh, because in effect, the people taking this will be addicted. They're addicted to the weight loss, and if you pull them off of it, they're going to put the weight back on, which will also have negative health consequences. Yeah, this is, I mean, a topic for another show, but it's reminding me a lot of, you know, people in my generation and the next generation, this similar effects with the amphetamines like Adderall and Vyvanse and all that mis misappropriation of some of those drugs. And, you know, similar, it, it makes you not eat, you lose a lot of weight and some people are taking it inappropriately for years, you know, and then what are the effects of coming off of it? Once well, again, one of the effects yeah, are, 
Well, one of the effects is that there's a national shortage of Adderall. So for the people that actually have ADD, ADHD, they can't get it. Right. Yeah, that's true. Like literally there's a national shortage of these drugs and uh, it's terrible for the people that need it. You know what's happening? This, I, I bet this is another pharma problem. Because there's a shortage of the generics, people now have to buy the branded drugs. Don't yep. quote me on this. I am speculating entirely that this shortage is being driven by the pharma companies to make people buy the branded. I, I would not be surprised if that's the truth. Go ahead. <laughs> really, no, it's you. We're, I mean, we're unfortunately out of time, but it's always great information that you give us. And uh, we're very happy to have you on the show as, as usual. But unfortunately, we're out of time. So I'd quickly like to thank Dr. Brian Collender, MD, specialist in prevention for being here tonight and for being willing to share his expertise and knowledge with regards to not only the prevention of disease, but also on the importance of being proactive and engaging with a practice that provides access to the necessary testing. This show is brought to you by Colander Medical. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cronin, together with my co-host, Siobhan Cronin. We hope you got some useful information on how to be your own advocate and take charge of your health, whatever your medical journey. Please continue to tune into our show Sunday afternoon at 3, Thursday evening at 7 for the latest medical updates. And thanks for listening to 760 WJR. Good night and be well.